CCR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning, everyone. Uh, today is Wednesday, the 24th of July, and you're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. We'd like to start the show with an acknowledgement that we are broadcasting from the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nations and extend our respects to their elders past and present and emerging. We'd also like to acknowledge the continued resilience of First Nation peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We recognise that uh, sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. And with that, uh, Wednesday breakfast, I'm Will. And I'm Eidwen. And uh, hello, how are you? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Is this directed to me or the listeners? Uh, to both. To both, but you can answer. Ah, thank Eidwen, you. So. I am good. We're back at uni this week. Hey. Uh, so, um, back with that mindset. Yes. Uh, I've, full of I've, good intentions. I'm good at full of intentions. My sentences have stopped working properly. Yes. So it's just, it's going well. Yeah. It's good. Nice. <laughs> How about you, Will? Um, I've been okay. I'm almost 100% better. Um, oh. Which is nice. It's taken a long time. It, yeah, it, it, it has. But um. <laughs> I think it's probably stymied by the fact that everyone that I speak to, meet or bump into is also sick. Mm. And mm-hmm. so it's just not a great healing environment, you know? No, it's it's yeah. very much been a harsh winter thus far, mm. I feel. Mm. Like, there's been a lot of sickness about, and I feel like it's just one of those, those winters where you're just going to be sick continuously. It's been a bad... Um, flu season as well. I yeah. haven't had flu, but I know that um, that a higher number of people than usual have have uh, fallen sick with influenza, and actually um, a couple hundred people have already died as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, what a great way to start Wednesday breakfast! Oh, <laughs> just talk, just complaining about our sickness. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> no, actually, we were celebrating getting mm. better. Yes. So I guess celebrating getting better. That's the main message to take out of this, mm. listeners, is we we're moving into getting better. Mm. I went to <laughs> I went to Ballarat with some friends. Oh. And um, so funny thing is that um, my one of my best friends' uh, kids. Uh, wait, no, my, my my best friend only has one kid. So um, anyway, uh, <laughs> know of. this this little yep. this little child is really really into um, trains and trucks and buses and all of those mechanical things. All the good things, And yep. so essentially what we did is we got into a car and we drove an hour and a half to get to Ballarat so that we could watch some trams. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Magical. We live in Melbourne. <laughs> we went to Ballarat for the trams. <laughs> My dude. <laughs> My dude. But they were really cool, though. Like, we got to go inside and, like, ring the bell, and um, there was a sort of a little trip around that cute lake that they have in Ballarat. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that was that was great. Um, yeah, would, would endorse. Ballarat, nice place. You liked Ballarat? Well, yeah, it kind of felt a bit desolate, though. Um, and it was a Sunday, so maybe that was it? Like, everyone from Ballarat was yeah, on weekend trips elsewhere? Inside or yeah. moving out or... Where's the centre of Ballarat? I don't even know. I have no clue. Mm. Um, where the Eureka Stockade flag? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah, the, yeah. that's now the epicentre. That's right. the unspoken epicentre. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Um, yeah, no. Have to go again, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Go go check out that history. Yeah. How was the first week of uni, though? That you're... Well, I've only been back a day. So. Oh. oh, okay. Right. Well, but um, I'm having an introduction to advertising at the moment, which is oh. m- mildly horrifying. Right. I'm going to do it as part of my course, right? Because it's like a smorgasbord of different media things. Sure, so you're going, sure. oh wow. Um, but yes, intro to advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, so someone put that. They said, oh, put your hands up if you love advertising. Put your hands up if you hate advertising. And I, I kind of raised <laughs> my hand in 
like 80 people and she was like that's right it's trash ah, <laughs> but she's okay. like but useful trash so mm, okay. she's gonna be going on the discussion about that okay uh, we'll see whether i'm converted by the end of the semester in 12 weeks right that's the thing you need only 12 weeks right yeah, yeah that's yeah. not that long no it's not you that know, long 12 classes that's 12 lectures mm. and yet people are still on their phones in my class which just Begs the question why they're there. Oh, but, okay. <laughs> but with that, that complaining, right. uh, <laughs> we can move on to maybe what we're getting to in the show. Yeah, yeah. So um, I feel like you have an interview first. What was... What, yeah, so um, we're going to quickly, before we get into the first interview today, we're going to um, actually tune into a conversation I had last week mm-hmm. with um, Dr. Michelle uh, Blanchard, who is the Deputy CEO at SANE Australia, which is mm. a national mental health uh, service and charity. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I bring up that is uh, at 7.30, we'll actually be talking to uh, the DAC Centre, mm. which is a centre that's now part of SANE, but it's kind of um, a big exhibit kind of building, ah, exhibition yes, yeah, building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked to these people in the past, but um, they're very much about raising the visibility of mental illness and mental health within Victoria. Yeah. Uh, so they'll be talking to us about a new exhibit they're doing and also ah. uh, their participation in Open Day this this Sunday, which is, uh, sure. as you know, a little city event where they kind of open up a lot of spaces in the city that you don't uh, usually get open, access to. Open house. Open house. Thing. Yeah, mm. yeah. So Mm-mm. you can get into buildings and have a look around yeah. and get to lo- know Melbourne a little bit. Exactly. Um, so I yeah, thought, cool. we'd, thought we'd find out a little bit about that. Awesome. Uh, what have we got coming after that, Will? And uh, we'll be speaking at 7.45 to Kaya Sheriff, who is the head of Indigenous at Afters. Afters is the Australian f- uh, National Film television and radio school and uh they've just come out with a new podcast talk talk which is about Ooh. indigenous languages and indigenous storytelling and they speak to um uncle bruce pascoe who you may know as the author of black emu um and so it'll be really great to speak to Kaius and find out a bit more about this podcast and how you at home can give it a listen uh, and then what's coming up at uh, 8 o'clock? Uh, hopefully at 8 o'clock we'll be tuning in with Tilly. So hey. for all those who remember, Tilly uh, came on the show a few weeks ago. She's an individual climate activist who's up currently facing uh, the Adani mine and mm. trying to stop progress with that. So she's going to kind of give us a call and tell us about all the amazing stuff she's been up to. Yeah, yeah, some of the events that may have happened since, mm. um, since we last spoke about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that'll be great. Uh, and then at the end of the show, quarter past eight, We'll be speaking to Matt Burns, who is producer at Karma, which is the Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association. Um, Matt Burns has produced a project called the Thurka Indigenous Endangered Languages Project. Um, and that's sort of trying to use music as a way of adding a bit more life to um, endangered Indigenous languages. And uh, we'll, hear, we'll hear a bit of a track as well as we close the show. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, sounds like a bit of a fun show. Sounds like an excellent show. Let's get into it. E, um, next up, alternative news. Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're going to have to get right down to the real nitty-gritty. Let's get right And you're listening to alternative news on 3CR Wednesday breakfast. Uh, so to, to bring us... Into the segment, I thought I might start, first of all, with a, um, a call-out from Jabberwung Country. Uh, for those of you who may not be up to date on this story, uh, Major Roads, Victoria and Vic Road, oh, no, Major Roads, Victoria and the Victorian government, rather, are planning an extension of the Western Freeway, um, in, th- uh, sort of between 
Melbourne and Ararat, and this runs through Jabberwung traditional country. And so um, part of the plans will include the destruction of more than 200 uh, sacred trees. These are birthing trees on women's country, and they um, the oldest of these has been around for about 800 years and been used as a site for birthing for Jabberwung people. Um, so uh, obviously the, the, the community... Uh, rejects this and uh, just recently they uh, have re- issued a red alert um, so the information that's been put out by the Jabwarung, uh Heritage Protectors Embassy um, is stating that the cops are coming with eviction orders very soon major road projects are seeking the eviction orders in court and that they need people to join the front line now, um, issuing a red alert because the, uh, the, the land is an, under immediate threat. Uh, so there have been a couple of different ways in which people have been, um, asked to, um, to help support, um, Jabwaring people and stand beside them. Um, first of all is that, um, the people at the, the Heritage Embassy want you to attend Top Camp. A suggestion is that you can go along to um, to the the protest camp, which has been set up. That's along the Western Freeway on the way to Ararat. And if you want more information, you can uh, call 3CR during business hours. We can find that information for you. Uh, our phone number is 94198377. That's 94198377. Otherwise, we will have a um, a document with the um, the map. Uh, attached on our show page after the show at 3cr.org.au slash Wednesday hyphen breakfast. Um, I'm sure there are a number of different places you can search for it if you, if you, um, have uh, access to the internet at home. Uh, the second way in which you can support the Jabberwung, um, Heritage Protection Embassy is by donating funds. Again, we'll have a link on our website if you are interested in finding out more about that and would like to make a donation. Um, and finally, you're being encouraged to, we're all being encouraged to contact government and relevant figures to spread the word, um, of this impending destruction of culturally significant, um, sites. Um, so the number given for Premier Daniel Andrews is 96515000. That's 96515000. And the number for the Victorian Planning Minister, Richard Wynne, is 94158901. 94158901 uh and I just want to see if they've given you any instructions no there's also a petition as well um in my experience you'll never get directly through to Daniel Andrews or to Richard Wynn um and so what I've been advised in previous campaigns is to be polite because it'll be a staffer or an intern who answers the phone and doesn't have a direct hand in decision making um, you, Poor intense. No, yeah, and so you need to you need to just give your name, uh, where you live, and your postcode. Uh, when I say where you live, your suburb, not your address. Um, um, so that helps them figure out sort of whereabouts you live um, and who your representative might be, um, and they just in very clear, plain language um, state whatever it is you want to say to these people. So I think that's probably good advice to carry over to this particular um, this particular campaign as well. Um, so yeah. That's uh, that's a little bit of an update from Jabberwung Country there. Absolutely, and um, just 
Tying in with like another kind of process going on, uh, we spoke to Sue and Karina from the King Lake Friends of the Great Forest last week, talking about the logging that's happening up their way, about 60 kilometres out of um, Victoria. So they've just updated us saying that the protests have grown to a rally of about 50 community members. Um, and in response, the government has put on 24-hour surveillance on the logging area to try and stop and kind of watch protesters um, and just reminding people that if they are interested they can head to Facebook uh, it's King Lake Friends of the Great Forest and you can also go up and help them they're actually on the ground at this point and very much like Drop Warong um, kind of keep trying to keep that sustained protest going on mm. yeah um, anyway alternative, alternatively I thought we'd actually go through today's newspapers because ah. they're absolutely There's a lot of really interesting stuff, stuff. isn't there? So the first thing um, I'm going to say quickly and get out of the way is that uh, Boris Johnson has been voted in as Britain's next Prime Minister. Voted in by the Conservative Party. By the Conservative Party. Yes. But quite a majority um, compared to his opposition. (coughs) 66% is what I read? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's quite big. So there wasn't a lot of competition. No, there wasn't a lot of competition, but I thought it was kind of funny. Um, They've put on the top of the Australian, Johnson vows to unite nation with unleashing a new spirit of can-do, which is something I would have heard in prep when I learned about Gary Getalong. Um, but apart from that, uh, we've also got um, uh, another story kind of breaking of return trips. So apparently uh, 70 asylum seekers have tried to reach Australian borders mm. in recent months. And Peter Dutton's chosen this opportunity not to talk about the humanitarian crisis going on or human rights abuses, but instead to remind audiences that if Shorten had got elected, they would have been in Australia by now. Mm. Um, this comes actually just literally a day after... Um, uh, Papua New Guinean Prime Minister and uh, uh, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, that, so that's Mr. Marape and Scott Morrison met and actually discussed um, implementing a timeline to closing offshore detention centres on Manus Island, which currently hosts about 350 refugees and asylum seekers. Um, so Mr. Morrison has kind of... Mr. Marape came... This was their first like diplomatic visit, mm. and Mr. Marape has demanded that there's an ending to these offshore detention centres, saying mm. that it's common decency... In response, Mr. Morrison has said that 260 people have already been transferred to the United States and he's encouraged all the other um, asylum applicants to kind of go back to their home country mm. and has reiterated that he will not be, he will not be seeing them um, obviously homed in Australia or in, he will not be taking Jessica Arden, New Zealand Prime Minister, up on, yep, Jessica Arden, <laughs> up on her offer to resettle 150 refugees in New Zealand, saying that it'll be kind of allowing them a back door into Australia kind of thing. Hmm. Um, however, it is, it is interesting to follow this because Mr. Marape has said he is open to New Zealand negotiations, which means there could be a possibility there. So Australia is very much firmly keeping the door shut, but um, P- the Papua New Guinean Prime Minister has said that he might actually be work. Um, happy to work with New Zealand Prime Minister. Mm. So, yep, that uh, remains kind of interesting. Also on our headlines, we have um, kind of a story for anyone living in eastern suburbs uh, with Gladys Liu. Now, we might remember uh, she was elected this federal election, and she's just been uh, on the front page of The Australian for asking the ASIO whether um, people who she, interv- who she has interviews with and appointment mm. with um, are vetted before she gets to see them. Mm. So she's had, said uh, that she's had a high volume of meeting requests and that she's kind of a little bit concerned and asked the ASIO if they would vet uh, anyone before they came and talked, discussed with her. Mm. Um, they said they would not do that in advance. However, and this is where it gets a little bit weird, ASIO boss advised all new MPs that they would receive a tap on the shoulder afterwards if they met anyone deemed a security risk. 
Hmm. So interesting insight to PM parliamentary business. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Yeah. I, I'm kind of interested in how that also made the front page. I generally think Absolutely. of Gladys Liu as a pal of the Australian being a member of the Liberal Party, um, and mm. the, the Australian has decided to essentially expose this individual. Mm. So I think there's an interesting question to be asked as to why the Australian decided that this story in particular was newsworthy. Mm. Um, if there was something in particular about Gladys that um, well, makes her ripe for front page fodder, it or, does seem it does seem also they're mm. taking a certain angle on it because they've also mentioned the fact that she's got like WeChat and mm. that, you know she's already had it downloaded on her phone and that ASIO has recommended that she removes that kind of from her phone and mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. Mm. So they've taken a few different angles at, mm. at her. Yeah, so that's kind yeah. of interesting. Not not to defend Gladys too much, but I think it's an interesting question no. to be asked as to why. The Australian has taken that stance to put um, Gladys's the story about Gladys on the on the front page. Yeah. Do we have anything else for alternative news? We do, we do. Um, so interestingly enough, PHP also has come out on top of the Financial Review, stating um, that it's now going to be taking a bit more of a heavier stance on climate change. Mm. It's really interesting because uh, BHP CEO uh, Andrew McKenzie comes out and says um, that BHP will be pushing customers around the world to reduce their greenhouse gases. Huh. And has called on governments to implement climate policy now more than ever. Hmm. So first he calls to mobilise individuals for, you know, carbon emissions, and then he calls governments. But he seems lighter on actual BHP processes. Instead he says a very vague, very vague commitment to check value chains, uh, shipping and processing to try and reduce scope three emissions. So he's kind of, he, he's set out a few goals, but it seems to be largely a push for individuals to reduce carbon emissions, even though PHP, of course, is one of the leading contributors. Very interesting. Um, So that's on that news. Uh, And finally, um, I thought it was a little bit interesting. We've had in two papers, actually, the reference um, to Scott Morrison saying, don't break out of school, um, calling to his own members in the Liberal Party who have actually shown bipartisan support for the race of Newstart. So obviously this hasn't been raised since 1994, 24 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's actually been a few Conservative MPs who have come out and said, okay, enough's enough. We actually need to see a rise to this. Um, Also... In the age, there's been come out. The, sorry, there's come out with. Um, it's been revealed that there was a major kind of there was an erasing of a major recommendation for New Start that came mm. out of review from 2018, and that was actually removed from a parliamentary, parliamentary report on the eve of the federal election, or mm. so the age says. So, it's really interesting kind of to watch the fact that this this I mean New Start was voted down a, a week or so ago, but since then, we've had a demonstration that it was actually removed from parliamentary agenda from the mm. Liberal Conservative government, or at least so the age says, mm. and that you have a lot of Conservative MPs coming out and saying, hey, no, we need to raise new starts. We're seeing almost a bipartisan support for this, and Scott Morrison remains steadfast. But hopefully, we see a bit more traction. Mm. Yeah. That's been an alternative news. Uh, Shall we move immediately on to the interview with Dr. Michelle? Yeah, sure. So we're just going to swing into a conversation I had last week. As I said before, this is with um, Dr. Michelle Blanchard uh, from SANE Australia, which is a national mental health charity, and she is the deputy CEO. And this is us catching up and discussing the recent Royal Commission into Mental Health Systems in Victoria. So, yeah. 
Hey guys, just a heads up before we start this interview. Uh, within this discussion, we talk around the issues of mental illness and health systems within Victoria. Now, whilst we think this is very important to talk about, I'd just like to acknowledge that some of the content may be distressing. And just disclose a trigger warning for some listeners that in case you do feel uh, like this isn't the conversation for you, um, perhaps tuning away for the next 10 minutes or so. If you do feel like you need support or find any of this conversation distressing, please reach out to our services. Anyone looking for information, support or guidance from mental health professionals can contact SANE Help Centre on 1800 or Lifeline's number is 131114, that's 131114, or you can access services at beyondblue.org.au. Good morning. Now, Dr. Michelle's on the line with us at the moment uh, on the behalf of SANE. And you guys are calling for the Royal Commission to Mental Health to be focusing on providing accessible and appropriate care. Um, Michelle, can you tell us a little bit more about what that means? Yeah, so there's about 200,000 Victorians who live with complex mental health issues. Um, and their mental illnesses like schizophrenia, personality disorder, bipolar disorder, um, and eating disorders. And Unfortunately, many of those individuals don't receive the care and support that they need. Um, over the last couple of years, we've seen the threshold to access Victoria's specialist mental health service increase um, because expenditure on mental health services has really failed to keep up with demand. Um, so we're really keen for the Royal Commission to seek to understand how that situation can shift so that all Victorians who are experiencing severe and complex mental health issues can get the care and support that they need. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, we have seen this uh, increase in mental health statistics, uh, mental illness statistics. Um, what do you think are the real obstacles within the system? What are the real issues that have been identified uh, and kind of need to be addressed within seeking appropriate care? Because that's a very generalised term. What specific services need to be brought in? So some of the challenges for people experiencing complex mental health issues um, is lack of a specialist workforce to meet their needs. Um, so we often see a lot of the resourcing in the system going towards youth mental health services, um, which are incredibly important. It's important that we reach young people early in life. Um, but we see that um, there is a gap emerging for people after the age of 26. Um, when they move into the adult mental health system um, and given that a lot of the attention in the system has really gone towards addressing mild to moderate mental health issues and what we call high prevalence disorders like depression and anxiety, uh, there tends not to be as much of a focus on severe and complex issues. So that may result in, in members of the workforce not having a lot of experience in being able to support people through those kinds of challenges. The workforce is certainly an issue. Um, I think the difficulty in being able to get to see someone at the right time um, continues to be an issue for people. And so what that means is that people um, become in a state of crisis before they're able to access the help and support that they need. So we really need a system that's reoriented towards reaching people earlier um, so that they can then receive um, treatment and, and care in the community rather than in hospital or other settings. Through this idea of kind of, yeah, holistic approach to kind of uh, how our uh, mental health services work in Victoria, um, do you think we, we need to kind of work around also breaking down that stigma around mental illness? Do you think that's still a huge obstacle? 
So the community that we work with, stigma and discrimination, continues to be really significant challenges. I think we've done a lot to shift the conversation around illnesses like depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still not easy, but it's become a lot more commonplace for people to be able to share those experiences. When it comes to illnesses like schizophrenia or personality disorder, what we hear from people every day is that stigma and discrimination still have an enormous impact on their lives. Um, And that can really limit people's opportunity to receive care and support um, but also to participate fully in the life of our community. Yeah, and I think another really interesting point that kind of SANE's come out with, uh, on the stats and you in particular have come up with, is this idea that um, currently our mental health uh, kind of systems in, in in Victoria at least are very much okay you guys can come to us and it's leaving mm. a lot of very vulnerable people going right I need to try and access mental health services through various different you know entry points and that can usually lead to that can lead to problems such as you know um, patients having to retell their stories or individuals having mm. to retell their stories and re- you know go through that trauma again um, what were how do we switch this narrative how do we make it so that services can come to individuals So I think it's really about having a system that is connected and integrated. So, you know, we we really need a system where um, we're not only providing people with crisis and clinical care, but we're also linking people into um, adequate and, and good quality housing, education, employment, physical health services, um, we're supporting people within the context of their family or their local community um, so that all of those things are working together to support the needs of a person. Um, what tends to happen at the moment is that as people move between those different aspects of the system and between the health system and the community sector, um, that's where a lot of fragmentation can occur and, and unfortunately people do fall through the cracks. So we're really looking for that idea of like interconnected health networks so you know everyone's is the idea of sharing information or kind of collaborating? How, how would that kind of look? So I think it's really important that the person experiencing the mental health issue is at the centre of that system and that they're empowered to be able to connect with help and support in a way that works for them. Um, so it's really important that the person is empowered to then share what they would like to share with the team that are supporting them Um but to do that in a way where um, those conversations between everyone are encouraged. Absolutely. And um, within the state level and your report on mental health in Victoria, the government stresses individuals who receive kind of this mental health support as kind of consumers, um, introducing a more of a customer-based approach. Um, just with the Royal Commission into Mental Health Systems in, in Victoria in specific, is this kind of good seeking out user needs and hopefully for providing them through this kind of customer exchange program, or is it kind of yet another marketization of a service that we need to kind of be wary of, you know, avoid the term customer and move back towards patients or individuals that are in our care? Yeah, so that's a really interesting aspect. So the term consumer has actually been used in mental health for a very, very long time. Um, There was a really strong consumer movement that emerged in the 70s and 80s um, with that kind of mantra from the disability movement around Mm -hmm. nothing about us without us. The the sort of term we tend to use now is people with a lived experience of a mental health issue, so sort of emphasising... Um, the experiences that people have had rather than necessarily the, the diagnosis or the mm. illness that they they um, are experiencing. So um, language has certainly sh- 
shifted. We have both seen um, a system that has inherently become more individualised. So, you know, for those individuals who do have access to the systems like the NDIS, um, they tend to provide services on an individual basis in individual packages of care. And what that does mean is now missing from the system is that really holistic community-based care and support mm. that had emerged previously um, where people um, also had the opportunity to interact with peers and, and other people in the community so that they felt a sense of, of connection and, and belonging. Absolutely. And I suppose my, my last kind of question is um, we've seen a few royal commissions go through recently and some of them have been kind of uh, come up with these great set of recommendations which have been promptly re- ignored. Um, kind of what, what are your, your feelings around this royal commission? Are you very hopeful at the moment? Uh, what, what do you think the community should be doing to kind of get on, get on support it and kind of uh, when it does come out, kind of hold the government to, their, to, the, to the recommendations of the review? So I think it's really promising to see that Minister Foley and Premier Andrews have committed to implementing all of the findings or the recommendations from this Royal Commission. Um, it, it's really important that um, they're not um, just shoved in a drawer, that they actually result in real change and make a real difference in the lives of people affected by mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we've seen in um, the area of family violence, for example, is that the Royal Commission did catalyse change in that area mm. and hopefully that's what we see out of this Royal Commission in Victoria. Absolutely, turning, changing the uh, conversation and tone around kind of mental illness and, or mental, even mental health and how we talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's such a vital aspect of, of this work. Mm. And sorry, my final question has just escaped me. One moment. I suppose my final question is uh, for individuals who are kind of listening to it and want to kind of take this from a grassroots level, want to try and create that community that would support someone that they might know. Because, I mean, mental health affects us all. Mental illness has all, has affected someone in our network because so many Australians do go through it and do have lived experience of it. Um, if you kind of want to be part of supporting that community or even creating community um, that is supporting of people going through these experiences. What's maybe three things that you think people can do to kind of reach out and connect? So I think a really important thing to remember is that about half of us are going to experience a mental health problem at some point in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And so people experiencing mental health issues are all around us um, in our communities and in our families. Um, I think it's really important that people um, become informed about mental health issues. You can visit a website like ours, sane.org, to find out more about people's lived experience of living with mental health issues. Um, I think we can have open conversations with with those that we're caring for about what might be going on for them um, and ask them how we can, can care and support them in in what they might be going through Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the other thing that we can do is to look after our own mental health and well-being so uh, to do things that um, give us a bit of time and space um, to focus on our mental health just in the same way we would our physical health and well-being. Fantastic to see the posters and then see the follow-through of that (laughs) and you can also check out Sane's full written submission at sane.org slash royal commission is that correct? That's right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks so much. Hello, this is Archie Roach, and you're listening to Good Music on 855 AM on 3CR. This is our country. 
We've never forgotten where we've come from. Or who we are. We keep our culture strong. Now it's time to come together. Talk as equals. And write our own future. This is our country. And this is our time. Treaty is time. Enroll now for the First People's Assembly of Victoria election. Authorised by the Victorian Treaty Advancement Commission, Melbourne. And you're listening to 3CR. So that was a conversation I had with Dr. Michelle Blanchard, Deputy uh, CEO of SANE Australia. Uh, next up, we're actually going to have an interview with um, Charmaine from the DAC Centre. Now, the DAC Centre is actually a part of SANE as an organisation, um, but they're a centre dedicated to raising awareness around mental illness and reducing stigma through exhibitions, educational programs and kind of community outreach. And um, we have Charmaine on the line this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So um, the DAC Centre has an exciting new exhibit going on called Finding Our Worlds. Could you tell us a little bit more about um, what the exhibit is? Yeah, absolutely. So this is the first time that we've brought together um, the poetry and visual works from the Cunningham DAC collection in such um, a comprehensive and integrated way. Mm-hmm. So this exhibition site is, is um, exciting in that regard. Also, the exhibition is uh, around the theme, Finding Our Words. Um, and the reason that we chose that theme is that it speaks to, I guess, different aspects of the need to talk about um, lived experience um, of mental health issues. So first of all, there's the uh, important goal of helping people tell their narratives, um, going through that process of being able to share your story, put words to it, um, and being able to make sense of it can be a very healing process. Um, mm-hmm. And, of course, doing that through art, both visual um, and poetry, can be um, extremely important and helpful for people. The other aspect of finding your words is just on a, on a day-to-day level, how do we share how we're feeling? Um, how do we share that with our peers? How do we share it with our family, with our friends, with just, um, people um, that we work with? So, again, there's that theme around how do we talk about um, the emotions that we experience. And then there's a bigger theme around, as a community, how do we find our words to talk about mental health issues in a way that is respectful um, and helps people to heal and helps people to understand what the true lived experience is like and then through that to break down um, stigma. So this exhibit almost works on the it works on the individual kind of small community and then larger, wider community kind of levels with the finding our words idea from the individual of you know finding their expression to community discussions and national conversation absolutely wonderful and we've had the duck center on before to discuss um their last exhibit which kind of focused more on paintings and it still had a wide range of pieces but this this exhibit will also as you mentioned include things like uh drawing ceramic but poetry video and an immersive projection room um could you kind of tell us a little bit about this installations why have you opened it up to example for example um poetry and that sort of medium yeah well i think the beautiful thing about poetry is it has the performance element to it um, so obviously you can, as the um, poets are able to read their poems, um, you can actually um, project a poem onto a space to bring it alive as well. Mm-hmm. And so with the um, projection room, what we're doing is we're just allowing visitors to be in a space where there is silence um, at the dark space 
And then we have poems by um, Paul Fern and Jeff Prince that are um, projected onto two of the walls. So it's a very quiet and calming space. And it's a way to enjoy the poetry um, on its own. And I guess for people to be immersed in the poem, in the words um, and in the experiences of the poet. That all sounds rather beautiful, I have to admit. <laughs> um, this exhibit also, from reading kind of a little bit about it, includes kind of an interactive aspect with this poetry forest. Um, yeah. Can you kind of tell us a little bit how in- individuals interact with that art and what kind of connection or significance you hope to build with it? Absolutely, yeah. So for us, the dialogue with our visitors um, is key to what we're trying to do. So we want people to come in, we want them to experience the art, want them to understand um, people's, people's lived experience of mental health issues. And then with that, we want them to respond. So we want to know, well, how did that feel for you? Have you learned um, anything new from today? What would you like to share? Is there a comment or a feeling or a thought that you might like to leave about something that you've seen today or something that you've felt? Um, and so that kind of dialogue back and forth between um, the gallery, the artist um, and the visitors is really key for us. So the poetry forest is one way for us to do that. Um, and people can choose how they interact with it. So they might like to leave a comment about what they felt or they might like to add a poem. So in that way, um, the exhibition also grows over the time as well. So I think it's about giving meaning to everyone's lived experience um, and that everyone has the right to kind of tell their story and share their story. It's a wonderful idea of creating this uh, like two-way communication feedback loop and kind of fostering community as well with this idea of, as you said, recognising everyone's experience and kind of building that normality, adding it to the discussion. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, So you will be opening your doors for Open House over the weekend, which is occurring on Sunday, I believe. Um, Why have you chosen to open the DAX Centre's doors to the public? Uh, What's the significance of kind of coming in and seeing behind the scenes? Yeah. Someone said to me this year that the DAX Centre has to be Melbourne's best-kept secret. Uh, So obviously the beauty of being involved with something like Open House is the um, weekend is so well-known. There are also lots of other places that are open um, on the Melbourne University campus in, in Parkfield. So we're partnering with those um, other buildings to um, cross-promote cross promote the fact that we're all open this weekend, um, which is great for us in terms of just raising um, the community's awareness um, of the fact that we're here and of the work that we do. In terms of allowing um, visitors on this Sunday to go back at house, well, I think it's really exciting for people to be able to see what goes on in a gallery in the back of house area. There's so much work that takes place in terms of getting artwork um, ready to be shown, um, in terms of how we have to store the work. Like in um, the Cunningham Jacks collection, we have over 16,000 pieces. So when you're in our gallery, you know, as an example, in our current show, we have between sort of 40 to 60 works, but just above you, is our storeroom, and there's over 16,000 works there. So it's a chance for um, visitors to be able to get a greater appreciation of the scope of our work, um, of the work that we do hold, and we'll also be able to show um, visitors a couple of works that aren't typically seen. Um, Many of our works are quite old, dating back to the 1940s and the 1950s, Mm. um, and are quite fragile. 
So it's, I guess, a special chance to be able to see works that normally you might not get to see um, and hear the story behind those works. And there'll also be um, guided tours of the current exhibition as well. Wonderful. And if individuals from the community are looking to get uh, more involved, either submitting pieces or sharing their story or just coming into the DAC Centre and saying hello, um, what would you recommend for people to, to getting yeah. involved, coming along? Or? Yeah, come along, definitely. I mean, as a first step, we open on Sunday, as you said, the open house are open from 11 to 4. You can come in at every time, but at, at any time across the, the day, but we will be having guided tours that will start on the hour, every hour, uh, and they will include going into um, our back-of-house area. If you can't make it on Sunday, we are open every Wednesday to Friday, 12 to 5. So we welcome everyone to come in, have a chat, um, talk about our work and, and um, have a look at the current show. And if you're interested in getting involved as a volunteer or as an artist, you can always email us at info at daxcentre.org. Wonderful, Charmaine. Well, thank you so much for coming on this morning. And, um, oh, yeah, good you. luck with your open house. It sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be great. Thanks so much. Wonderful. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You're listening to 3CR. Australia is a crime scene. It's unfinished business, this crime. People don't understand that it was a military exercise. It was military in the first fleet. It was Captain James Cook. It was Captain Arthur Phillip. Right through the history of Australia, it's a military exercise. Our people have suffered greatly because the white man is not prepared to act honourably and legally. It's still the case in this country today. This is 3CR. El Dorado, the story of Scudiez, is the story of a fight of a small community in northern Greece against a multinational-owned gold mine project that threatens their homes and lives. A grassroots movement is fighting against the destruction of the environment caused by the extraction methods and for democratic control over the most crucial basic resources, water, air and land. It shows Greece in the era of social and economic crisis where the rights of communities and the environment collide with big business and profit. This screening will be followed by a performance by Bandidas playing classic Rembetica songs of love and loss, pain and pleasure at Café Gummo, 711 High Street, Thornbury on Saturday the 10th of August at 7.30pm. Entry will be by gold coin donation and all funds will go to 3CR. So I'm here at the school kids strike for climate action with some of the people who are on strike today. Can you tell us your names and how old you are? Uh, so my name's Ivy and I'm 12 years old. My name is Marta and I'm 8 years old. My name's Layla and I'm 11 years old. Inequality is at a 70 year high. Our jobs are going offshore, our jobs are being casualised. 40% of us are trapped in insecure work. 
the richest 1% have more than the 70% of us at the bottom. And workers will stand up and fight. You've never seen a fight before until you back the Australian workers into a corner and tell them they've got no rights. Those workers will fight. 3CR Union Issues and Workers' Struggles. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. Three Songs for 3CR on August 3rd brings solos, duos, trios and five choirs to raise funds for Music Sans Frontières. The Oratory, Abbotsford Convent, 7.30pm, Saturday, August 3rd. Tickets at the door or go to www.boite.com.au. The Boite is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio, uh, and the time right now is 7.45, time for our next interview. We're talking about Talk Talk. Talk Talk is an Indigenous language and storytelling podcast by Afters, the Australian National Film, Television and Radio School. Um, and Talk Talk, like I said, Indigenous language and storytelling, uh, is a really exciting podcast. It's just come out. There are five episodes on air right now. And uh, we're speaking to Caius Sheriff, who is the Director of in- Head of Indigenous at Afters. Caius, good morning. Good morning, Will. Good morning. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the podcast. I know that it can be a, a quite a big project, so c- good job. Oh, thank you. It's very, very exciting because it's, it's our first one uh, for the uh, Indigenous unit. And uh, we're pleased that it's come out in the International Year of Indigenous Languages. And um, can I use a bit of media speak here? What a get for your first guest to have Uncle Bruce Pascoe as your, your first guest. <laughs> for folks listening at home, if you don't know who Uncle Bruce Pascoe is, then um, what's going on? But also, uh, he, Uncle Bruce is a, uh, a writer, a historian, and um, you may know Uncle Bruce from Dark Emu, um, which is a, a fantastic book talking about the history of um, First Nations uh, archaeology. Uh, Agricultural practice and land use and that sort of thing. So, yeah, what a what a great first interview. Can you tell us a bit about that first interview? Um, what what the first episode is about? Oh, okay. Uh, so d- just to give a little bit more context, if I can, Uncle yes. Bruce Pascoe was our inaugural elder in residence at um, film school, film and broadcast. Uh, we hadn't had one before and we approached um, Uncle Bruce and he uh, uh, luckily agreed. And so I thought for our first podcast, who better to have this uh, casual conversation about some topics which I just think broader Australia may not uh, know how to ask some questions. And, and so the first uh, uh, initial uh, podcast, the uh, first step, even though it says language, we don't speak in uh, uh, Indigenous language, but we we break down terminologies and and, and get an awareness um, and a First Nations perspective, I suppose. Mm. And um, an interesting question you ask um, in the first first episode is, what is Indigenous language? And of course, people can listen to the podcast because they're available now. But would you be able to tell us what Uncle Bruce had to say on that? Well, it's it's. Really, really uh, lovely the way Uncle Bruce explains 
that it's, it's, it's living and the language actually comes from country, from the country you're on. That's where the language uh, lives and that how language is dynamic. Um, and even though some languages may be dormant and not said, it, it, it's about what's going on now and that they can come back and we, we have to have uh, agency and urgency uh, towards that. Um, yeah, and he says it in a very, very wonderful Uncle Bruce way, uh, but that, that it's not that it's not approachable and that it's, uh, it's, it's there. Yeah. Mm. And so that gives folks an idea of what the, um, the first episode kind of covers a bit. But can I ask, how did the um, idea of the podcast come about? I'm sure that, you know, a film and TV and radio school um, is kind of quite naturally given to a podcast, but... Um, what what led to this particular podcast about Indigenous language? Well, because it is the 2019 um, the United Nations Year of Indigenous Languages worldwide, and so within that, I I wanted to to look at well, as a um, national uh, film and broadcast school, what where do we look at that? What is our role? And so I thought because we, we host a thing called Black Talks where people come in and listen to um, leading um, Indigenous practitioners and their industry peers and we have just chats. And I thought, well, how do we bring it to a broader audience than those who can't make it into the school? Um, and then the thought of a podcast. And because Uncle Bruce was the elder, I, w- I really wanted to unlock just those conversations which I've had with Uncle Bruce, which the knowledge he keeps that that is always there with him and with a lot of, of people, but just the ability to allow people to access that and go, wow, there are so many layers to this 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 country, and um, it's sort of like an invitation for for people who want to listen to that and um, hopefully get some insights. Hmm. Now, can I ask, who is the, the podcast for? I feel like a lot of um, First Nations people in Australia might be quite familiar with a lot of the thoughts, um, the, uh, the concepts talked about in the, in the podcast. There'll be other people who are reconnecting with their culture. Um, but does, does Afters have a thought as to who this podcast is directed toward? Um, absolutely. It is um, both a national and an international space. So uh, it would be for people who are interested in first peoples um, around the world, I think, um, to get an insight in what's, what's the sort of current situation um, in Australia. Um, on top of that, um, interested Australians who know some things, but to hear it from an elder and, and to also hear that it is so diverse how we approach all these um, topics, but to also just just to get taken away by um, the story and the storytelling that Uncle Bruce delivers in explaining what connection can be, what culture can be, um, what Australia currently is, and um, really, you know, touching on those moments of, as just a matter of fact, what our shared history is. And and I love that that's just something that so that that's part of our discourse. Um, and like you say. Um, a lot of uh, First Nations Australians would know some of this, but just the opportunity for them to hear Uncle Bruce, um, I think, is always a gift. 
Mm, absolutely. Um, just to bring up the fact that shared history is actually the topic of episode number four, so um, good sort of sub-plug there. Uh, and then episode five, about time. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? These are, these are the five episodes that are out. Time is the, the last episode in the series so far. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about that episode and what we can look forward to? Yeah, and and so it's talking about uh, or where we are now and also that it's it's not things to shy away from and where we can sort of hopefully land by how do we keep going together with this it, there's there's it, it's it's there has been uh a sort of a a shift in Australia um having the appetite and the 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 want to to know this information um mm, yeah like so an awakening of of knowledge yeah. that is important for all people, everyone. not just Indigenous people, to, yeah. to care about Indigenous languages. and Yeah, mm. it's for everyone. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, I think it's funny, one of the things Uncle Bruce, uh, when he said, in, in regards to uh, saying language, speaking language, and if you get it wrong, and he's like, but you just give it a go. Uh, and, I, and I thought that was, that was lovely because people can be uh, hesitant to try to say things and you know and in passing he's he's said that there are incidental aboriginal uh language names of places and people don't know the history that that's actually an aboriginal word that they're speaking whether it be correctly or not but there's still breath going into language around the place that people don't know so that's you know he uh yeah he highlights uh little things Mm. Now I do have one one question before my last question, okay. rather, um, about the future of the podcast. Where yes. do you see this going after episode five? Well, it was really lovely, and I don't mean to name drop, but mm. Rachel Perkins, uh, when we launched it, we, we had an event, and she was um, the keynote speaker, and she said, "Okay, so what's next? Who are you interviewing next?" <laughs> and, I, and my and brain just went, "Well, you would be lovely." Um, so I think that the the space that it's in would uh, keep being in the, the field of uh, people who uh, are fabulous storytellers. And I, so I think the next person to... to I think it'd still be in conversation, but the, the, the another storyteller would come along. Oh, how exciting. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so that would, that would be great um, if, that, if that eventuates. I'll keep an eye out for that one. And uh, last question, how can people access the podcast? This is fairly important. Great. You could go to, um, I know this is a little bit old school, but we have it on the website, www.aftrs.edu.au. Talk Talk is um, on iTunes. Um, and, oh, God, I wish I could say it right. Is it, I'm, I'm going to say something and you can correct me mm. if it's wrong. Audio Boom, is that? That I sounds right, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, Audio Boom. So they're the three places. Ah, <laughs> beautiful. Okay, so you can go to the afters website, AFTRS. Yes. Sorry, can you remind me at the, the end of that? EDU.au. EDU.au, iTunes yes. or yes. Audio Boom. Yes. The podcast name is Talk Talk. I've been speaking to Caius Sheriff, the head of the Indigenous Unit at AFTRS. Um, Caius, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great morning. Thanks, Phil. You too. Next up is Ngarik Wajemanama, a song by Ermeli Waramara. Stay tuned. Oh, <laughs> 
Planet B. Come along to a sparkling night of progressive comedy at Greenleft Weekly's annual comedy debate. Join Masters of Ceremonies Rod Quantock with Sean Bedlam, Duff, Fiona Scott Norman, Hellchild, Kirsty Mack, and Tom Tanuki. Tickets are $50 Solidarity, $30 Regular, $22 Low Waged, and $12 Concession. There'll be a bar and the opportunity to buy a delicious dinner. Friday the 26th of July, 6.30pm at the Brunswick Town Hall. Don't panic, there is a Planet B, a fundraiser for the radical newspaper Green Left Weekly. Bookings are essential, phone 9639 8622 or go to trybooking.com forward slash BDHTX. Green Left Weekly is a 3CR supporter. Our broadcasters present over a hundred radio programs every week, including a diverse range of community language shows. Come to more Tricia Community Radio. Please subscribe now. Tustami ona ila ida Tricia Community Radio araja al istrakel an. Ningal ungalin samuha vanoli Tricia ray kertu kondir kondir kal. Inre inayingal. Están escuchando Radio Comunitaria 3CR. Suscríbete ahora. Metsuketsek Radio y Gaeranin, Boretanguda Melbumi Hai Kaotin, Hima Artsanakrevetsek Ipertrisiari Antam. Support the station that gives your community a voice. Subscribe to 3CR. This is Irene Bolger, former secretary of the Nurses Federation in Victoria. 
Throughout the nurses' dispute in 1986 and the waterfront dispute in 1998, 3CR was always there broadcasting the voices of workers in struggle. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio and we're broadcasting live from the Bay to Chicken Strike here in Melbourne. We've just seen all of the thousands of nurses walk through to their meeting and people from different unions showing their solidarity. 3CR, radio for the workers, by the workers, since 1976. Victoria's roadside drug testing program is not about road safety. In last year's governmental inquiry into drug law reform, it was noted that Victoria's RDT program is falling behind on latest evidence regarding impairment. You're listening to 3CR. It is 8.02. I'm weirdly rapping at the moment. All right. Uh, let's slow it all down. We've got Tilly on the line. Now, if you remember from two weeks ago, we caught up with Tilly. She's an individual climate activist um, up in Queensland, uh, kind of providing the brunt against the Adani coal mine and the progress happening there. Good morning, Tilly. Good morning, Adwin. Good morning. No problem. So since we last spoke to you, um, what what have you been getting up to? What's going on? Well, I've been, uh, I've been up at the front lines. Um, we're hanging out near Adani's actual coal mine site that they've started work on. They've started clearing land for the building of the Carmichael mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been hanging out with a group of like-minded people who are all um, devastated that this mine has actually got the go-ahead and we're working hard and working tirelessly towards getting this mine stopped. But, um, yeah, so... Recently, I was actually involved in an action around this mine. Uh, mm-hmm. Can I tell you a little bit about that? Either? Absolutely. Please please tell us a bit more. Cool. So um, I actually only just got out of jail or the wash house yesterday. Uh, spent 29 hours in there um, trying to get some decent bail conditions for myself. But so the action itself was, uh, was taking place um, on a port road. So it's... It was very close to the the railway the railway line, and unintentionally we had to stop the um, the coal rail trains that were going to the port uh, in order to keep us safe. But that was not of our intention. Um, and so, yeah, we were on the road for up to four hours with our hands locked inside a inside a barrel, um, and they ended up having to jackhammer that barrel apart so um, mm. me and a friend Emily Starr were both uh, locked on at that stage and the police tried to move us on and others but um, ended up getting arrested as a result which was our intention anyway so uh, yeah it was it was great to be on the front line standing up against this mine against sort of big industry that turns a blind eye to um, the little people, and that there's only about the bottom line. So that was our intention, and we were glad to have it followed through. We also got um crazy amount of media coverage mm-hmm. because, of, uh, because of some French journalists that were also arrested that were there to cover our story, and they were um they were also taken to the cop house, which was a bit of a shock because <laughs> they were simply there to report on the story rather than to take part so mm-hmm. um yeah like Australia is getting to be a little bit of an oppressive police state but 
Absolutely. It sounds like you've been extraordinarily busy. And I suppose with kind of the individual movements that you've been doing in your demonstrations, what do you what do you think the significance is that of that? I mean the civil disobedience. Yeah, so I mean for myself I've been I've been to so many climate rallies and I've been, you know, there signing petitions and doing all the things you can from, you know, Melbourne. But in the end it was just thinking this isn't getting us anywhere and that mm. no one's listening to these kind of forms of protest anymore. And, like, we are in the midst of an ecological crisis and people are dying as a result of this already. Like, human displacement is real and and animals are all dying as well. It's, it's, it's a huge issue that no one seems to be taking too seriously in the Australian government at the moment. So, um, yeah, frontline action seems to be... Uh, and the only way to stop this at the moment, it's the last line to defend. Mm. And, um, yeah, that's why I'm involved in this. Absolutely. And can you tell us a little bit about um, the people you've been working with like, and had the opportunity to meet, I suppose? Yeah, so um, a lot of the people that are surrounding me have been activists for 20 to 30 years and they've, you know, really been working hard on the front lines. They've been committed to this cause for so long and um, just amazing people with such great wealth of knowledge like you know you've got people who really understand the climate issues that are you know ecological scientists that have you know seen in their line of work how terrible these issues really are and are just sick of sitting at home and have just decided to get up to the front line so if you're one of those people who also feel terrified about your future and mm. terrified about your children's future um yeah, I would highly recommend getting up to the front line to do something about it because sitting at home doesn't seem to be doing much anymore. Mm, absolutely. And you were mentioning the other day that you're up also in some beautiful country with some really inspiring people. Have you found that this is, you know, what 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 do you think you've got out of this? I mean, we discussed um, earlier, kind of Tilly, you and I, about the fact that we, where is the threshold where we get involved, where we kind of stop what we're doing in our daily lives and kind of go, no, this, this needs my attention this needs immediate action so what have you gained out of your personal kind of journey with this yeah for sure my personal journey has been absolutely huge i mean only only a few days before the action i was sitting on the road and looking at the coal train that had like absolutely piled up to the brim with coal and just like chugging past me just carriage after carriage after carriage and it's just like it tore a little hole in my heart I was like mm. how can this massive amount of resources be ripped up out of the ground and just and just taken like from native bushlands that haven't been consented upon to be like raped and tillaged and I'm so I'm like I'm so moved by the people around me that have shared their stories and um, the Jura people for allowing me to do the action on the country and um, yeah it's, it's been an amazing journey for me for sure. Absolutely and just kind of quoting the logistics for anyone who does want to kind of get involved, does want to get up there and how, could you just tell us a little bit about how you got up there, uh, what sort of resources do they need to bring, if people can supply anything, how can they get involved I suppose Yeah so um, if you jump onto frontlineaction.org there is heaps of information on there about what to bring and what to do and how to get there. Um, yeah, I would highly recommend it because it's definitely changed my life for the better and um, I would, yeah, definitely recommend jumping on there. You can also have a look at Black's Facebook page. They've done a lot of coverage of the action yesterday and they've also got 
more information on there. So, yeah, check it out. Fantastical. So, sorry, Tilly, do you want to finish that? <laughs> I said, yeah, check it out and come on up. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Tilly, for coming on. We'll have to uh, tune in with you potentially next week if something's going on. Yeah, amazing. Thanks, Adam. Wonderful. Thank you. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast. Right up next, we're going to listen to a bit of a song. This is Cuppy or Water by Jonathan Doolan and the Arianga Band. We'll be right back.
And that was Kapi, or Water, by Jonathan Doolan and the Arianga Band, uh, which was actually recorded as part of the Thurka Endangered Languages Project. You're listening to Wednesday Breakfast on 3CR Community Radio. Let's talk a bit more about that project with Matt Burns, who is the Director of Music at Karma, the Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association. Uh, Matt Burns, are you there? I am. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for coming on 3CR. Pleasure. Uh, well, let's talk a bit about this project, which I kind of gave a little bit of a taste of just now. Um, so the Thurka Indi- uh, Endangered Languages pro- um, Music Series is supported by Indigenous Language and Arts Program and the Australia Council for the Arts. Matt, can you tell us a bit about the project? Yeah, it's um, been recognised that a lot of languages are endangered, um, not being shared, not being learnt, and not being recorded, so... We endeavoured to set about just capturing some of this language um, and the ILAP people and OSCO helped us make this possible. Um, we engaged a bunch of different musos from all over the Northern Territory to uh, basically get their, their language on record um, with contemporary music, with mm. the music being a, a vehicle to deliver it in, you know, to more people, to a broader audience. That's right, and the EP that's produced as part of the Thurka Endangered Language Music Series um, includes a lot of different languages. Uh, so the the song that we just heard, Kapi, was in the Pinjara language. Can you tell us a bit more about the the other languages that feature on the the EP? Yep. Um, well, there's four EPs, one one in each of the languages. So there was Kapi, which was Jonathan Doolan and the Arianga Band, which you just heard. Um, they have five songs, and then there was a fellow, Stuart Nugget, who's from up around Elliot region, which is north of Tennant Creek, um, and him, uh, he sings in Jingali, which is a particularly endangered language. Um, we also did an EP for um, the Williams family. Warren H. Williams is a pretty well-known um, country singer who has worked at Karma for a long time, and his kids, three of them, um, they came in and they sang in Western Aranda, which is the, you know, around the Alice Springs and Indari region, um, Central Australia language. And, um, also Limai Thompson, who is from out near the border of Wingalina, uh, at Wingalina, near the border of South Australia and Western Australia and NT. And he was singing in Pintapi literature. And so the the project covers a lot of very diverse languages from diverse regions around um, what is generally the Northern Territory. Um, can you uh, give us an idea of the the origins of the project of Thurka, Thurka um, Endangered Languages Project? Like, how did this come about? Oh, look, CAM has always supported Aboriginal languages and media in general. Um, we noticed a lot of the musos that we were encountering in the studio were speaking mainly in language, you know, from living out on community. And um, we also noticed that a lot of them had mentioned that, you know, it's important that it it gets preserved. Um, So we did a series a few years ago where we collected eight albums from musicians all around the NT and a good percentage of them sang in language. And that sort of sparked the, the idea that, you know, um, maybe there's more support needed for that stuff to get it out there. And uh, just interestingly, so we, we, we got some help from um, ILA and to, to make that happen. And interestingly, it just coincided that it's the uh, International Year of Languages. 
this year when we were releasing it, so it sort of all panned out perfectly in terms of timing. Hmm. And how did you find your musicians? I think, like, being that it is an endangered language project, you have to um, reach out to languages which um, which don't feature quite so much in in mainstream Australian music. Uh, how did you curate the album? The we, albums, rather. We we have a lot of contact with people from our own community. For instance, Jonathan Doolan's band, who you just heard. Um, Jonathan's one of our RIDS presenters. We have a remote Indigenous broadcasting service that goes out through 12 communities through the NT. Um, he's one of the presenters on that. Um, so in terms of curating it, a lot of these bands that we have encountered over the years um, contact us. You know, there's, there's sports carnivals that happen way out in the way out on country. Um, there's always a, a bunch of talent there. Um, it's quite amazing how many musos are actually out on communities that are that are really great players. And in terms of getting it done and getting it recorded, there were some you know obstacles just in terms of remoteness. All it can take is a flat tire on the way to the recording studio, and maybe the session has to be cancelled. But apart from that, these guys are all great players, and they're all really motivated to have their stuff uh, recorded. You know, um, not only for preservation purposes, but just for their own personal. You know, pride and interest. They, you know, they're like any other musician. They want to hear their their songs on the radio, and they want to hear, you know, CDs of themselves. And they play together doing gigs. And so, getting them in wasn't particularly difficult. It's more a case of um, we can only fit so many in this one project. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, can I talk to you about the the preservation value of this of this project? Um, so the first song that we heard, we'll listen to another song soon, but the first song that we heard was in Pitanjara, which is quite a quite a strong language. There are about 4,000 people who speak it. Um, by contrast, Jingali, which is the the song, um, the language spoken by Stuart Nugget, uh, yeah. only has about five fluent speakers. Can um, what, what value do you think um, the use of these languages in, um, in music has toward their preservation? Well, when they speak about, you know, the amount of people talking it in terms of jingly, for instance, that's just, that's critically endangered. Um, so we're very, very lucky to have Stuart and his mum teaching him the language as we were recording. So that was a pretty, pretty rare opportunity. Um, and in terms of if you compare that to something like Pit, Pit Jara, where, you know, as you say, there's about 4,000 people, let's put that in perspective with the how many million people speaking English in this country. Um, that's still pretty rare, and it's something that isn't heard um, in a lot of other areas. Uh, you wouldn't usually hear people speaking pit over in the East Coast or the West Coast. It's, they're very regionally um, centred or focused languages that we're, we're working with. Um, so even having them on record is, you know, hugely important. Um, we don't propose to be able to save any languages, but at least being able to record them and have them available for that sharing purpose or for people to at least be able to access, that builds awareness and awareness is going to lead to, you know, greater understanding of, of the culture and the language. Absolutely. So if I were to ask you how people might get their hands on the music in these EPs as part of the Thurka Endangered Languages Project, um, how would people be able to purchase them? Do, or do we have physical copies floating around ac- across the country or yep. how, how do we do this? Yep, look, we have... Um, all the, all the usual digital outlets, so iTunes and Spotify and Amazon and Google Play and all of those standard digital outlets. Um, 
you can find the links on our website, which is um, Karma Music, C-A-A-M-A-Music.com.au. Um, and there's a, a tab at the top that says Thurka, um, and you'll be able to actually go on there and purchase them directly digitally. Um, you can also order them with us directly, physical copies. We've only made a, a pretty limited amount of prints of this um, particular run, but depending on how that goes, um, we'll make more if we need to. We've got beautiful artwork. There's the video clips up on our website. Uh, so, yeah, you can order directly through us uh, at karmamusic.com.au or um, just online at any of the digital places that you would normally buy anyone else's music. Sounds great. So to remind people listening at home, karmamusic.com.au, which is C-A-A-M-A music.com.au. Otherwise, all of the regular streaming sites. And they'd just be searching for, would they be searching for the individual artists or for Thurka yeah, Endangered Languages? Yeah, you would search for the artists. Oh. Yeah, if, you, if you come to our website, you'll find an entire page of um, the Thurka series. So that's got video clips from each of the artists. Mm. Um, that will give you the spelling and the names for each of the artists if you prefer to go online. But... Uh, the links are also attached on that same page. So first stop, karmamusic.com.au. Sounds great. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on 3CR Wednesday Breakfast, Matt. Talk okay. to you next time. All right, thank you. No worries. Uh, and so next up, we're going to listen to Nayuni, which translates to woman in the Jingali language. This is Stuart Nugget.
and that was Naomi Woman by Stuart Nugget, uh, which is part recorded as part of the uh, Thurka Endangered Languages Project. Thurka, I just realised I haven't spelled that for you folks at home. Thurka is spelled T H E R R K A. That's T H E R R K A. If you want to find out more, again, you can head to karmamusic.com.au, C A M A music.com.au. Uh, we've had a show, haven't we, Ivan? We've had a fantastic show, Will. Yeah. <laughs> um, shall, we, like shall we quickly run through? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so I was just speaking to Matt Burns, who was the Director of Music at Karma, um, Central Australian Aboriginal Media Association. Uh, before that? Yeah, before that we had Tilly, who's up facing Adani and kind of her individual journey with climate activism. Mm-hmm. Uh, before that, Caius Sheriff, who is the head of the Indigenous Unit at AFTERS, the Australian National Film and Television and Radio School. And we had Charmaine from the DAX Centre talking about um, their current exhibition, Finding Our Words, mm-hmm. as well as uh, Dr. Michelle Bennett from SANE Organisation. Blanchard. Blanchard, sorry. I don't know why I keep saying Bennett. Blanchard, <laughs> Dr. Michelle Blanchard um, from SANE Organisation, which is together with DAX, um, yeah, raising awareness over mental health systems in Victoria. Mm. Um, so we have a, a short moment left in the show to talk about what we're grateful for. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from all of the things that I've been grateful for in the past, like boots and all of those very unimportant things, can I talk about something that's very important? Mm-hmm. Squishy the dog. <laughs> so cute. So um, so one of the volleys, um, sort of a... Uh, a pillar at, at 3CR, mm. Nikki, um, who was actually one of the first people to train me, I just realised. Like, I kind of put the t- two and two together because I trained back in 2012, mm-hmm. left 3CR, then came back. So Nikki's one of the people who trained me, I just realised. And um, Nikki has this adorable dog called Squishy who's often at the studio and has these big, like, dark eyes that stare up at you and this pointy nose and is the cutest dog I've ever seen. And every time I see this dog, I, like... I cry a little. Yeah. Beautiful, so beautiful animal. And yeah. with a quick shout out to Nikki, also Earth Matters that came before our yes. show. Hugely yeah. grateful for that. And sorry, Nikki, that we haven't given you a shout out before. <laughs> um, 8.29. Uh, quickly up, I'm grateful for individuals such as Tilly. Um, mm-hmm. Just listening to her story and others up that area, I'm always wishing I could do more. And I'm so glad that individuals up on frontline actions and that sort of thing are doing the bits that I can't. So it reminds me ever more that... Um, we need everyone we can, and reminds me to go up there sometime. Fantastic. You've been listening to Wednesday Breakfast. Next up is Stick Together. Stick Together. CCR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall. You can check them out at nibs.org.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03-9419-8377. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.